0: Boy, we have had one of those mornings. I don't know if you've ever had one of those mornings. You know what I'm talking about, one of those mornings? But we have had one of those mornings. We arrived here today, and there was no air conditioning. Isn't that amazing? Yes? First world problems, right? And so we want to thank David Taylor, who attends church here, and he owns an air conditioning company. Yay, David, for rescuing us. Yes? Angels come in many forms. This one with a tool belt today, okay? Okay. But we are thankful for that. We're up and running again, and you are nice and cool, and we are so glad that you're all comfy and here this morning to hear the Word of God. If you have your Bibles today, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. You say, Mark, I've been gone for the summer. You, you finished you know, the book of Exodus, and now you are back again the first time I show back up. What is this all about? Is there not another book in the Bible that Hope Fellowship knows about? Well, yeah, there is. And in two weeks, we start a series through the book of James. We're going to be teaching through the book of James this fall. A great series. I'm excited to share with you some very practical teachings about our life and how we live our life and interact with one another and how we make Christ known in the world through how we live. And so I'm excited about that. But today, the book of Exodus, we are. Almost finished with the Apostles' Creed today, the 11th time that we've been together to talk about that. And this morning, we're down to the phrase, way down at the bottom, it says, the forgiveness of sins. So you say we only have one more line, and that is next week, the resurrection of the body and the everlasting life, uh, or life everlasting. I thought about doing a week on just amen, you know, just to do a week on amen, to think, wow, this is over, and uh, whew, let's move on to something else. But I think we'll finish with that last line the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. But today, I'm excited because we're talking about the forgiveness of sin, how God forgives us. It's such a powerful thought and subject and fact in our life. And in that light, it enables us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to forgive others. And maybe you need to show some forgiveness and receive some forgiveness this morning. But there is a dilemma here. There really is a dilemma. So I want to talk about the dilemma first. And then we're going to talk about the solution to that dilemma. Because in our culture... In our culture it's very, you know, things change all the time. You kind of have to stay up with things because definitions of words and phrases change all the time. And in our culture, the term going viral no longer just means that you're contagious. It doesn't, right? It's very different in our in our in a culture that we currently live in because what we post and what we tweet and what we upload to the internet, it's out there for the whole viral community to simply grasp and to have Forever and everyone sees when we simply find ourselves on social media. And and sometimes you make a mistake and post something that you regret later on. Now I don't know if anyone you have have ever done it. Let's take a little survey for a moment, okay? How many of you have ever and you say, Mark, I don't even do social media? Well, good. I'm glad that's fine. But how many of you have ever posted something online through social media that later on you regretted putting up there? Let me see your hand. Okay, good. There's some of you. Terrific. The rest of you have no idea what social media means, right? And so uh, we're just glad that you're here and we have air conditioning, right? That's all you're thinking about. But yet what we find is that there is a new term that has been coined to that addressing that that fact of, Making mistakes and posting things that you regret, and it's called viral public shaming, (laughs) is what it is. It's a real term, viral public shaming. It is, and so I begin to read about that in a little bit, and I found this article about a man from uh, from 2012, and it's interesting because you know that's a while ago, but yet what he does is this: he goes to the drive-in, the drive-through at Chick Fil A. Now. You don't mess with the Christian chicken. I know that, right? So, what he does is he has an altercation with the person through the speaker box there at the drive-through, and he has this altercation. And the whole time that he's doing this, he he videos it with his phone, and then he posts it to Facebook. Okay, is what he does. Okay, and he posts it up just for people to see. He has it. Actually, he has a discussion concerning the topic of same-sex marriage with this person now. First of all, why do you do that through the box? You're there to order you know, a Chick-fil-A sandwich and some waffle fries and a sweet tea is what you want. But he does, but he, but he videos this, he posts it up, and he thinks nothing about it. He leaves, and, and by the time he gets to work that morning, this video has already gone viral. And so within a couple of hours, true story, within a couple of hours, his, his supervisor, and he's the CFO of a company... His supervisor, whoever that is, I guess, the um, the COO, maybe, I don't know, but yet calls him in and says, listen, this has really been a nightmare for us uh, publicly, and so what I'm going to ask you to do is resign. He asked him to resign because of a video that he posted that morning. Well, he thought, that's the worst of it. I can always find another job. By the time he gets home that afternoon, it it has gone viral to millions of people, and all of a sudden he is getting death threats. He He finds in the middle of the night people are nailing letters to his front door threatening his life. The information concerning his children has been released on the internet of where they go to school, what their names are, and what their ages are. He simply has to find an attorney. He moves to another town. He gets another job, and when they find out that he's the Chick Fil A guy, then they they simply ask him to resign also. And I thought this is a crazy thing. So what I read through the article is this: that later on he actually reaches a point where he com- he considers committing suicide because this has ruined his life. Now, the thought or the thought is not, and I don't want to make light of offensive and foolish stuff that you post on the internet. I, I'm not making light of that at all. But does the story deserve? The, the the death death threats does it really deserve the treatment that this guy gets Does it because in our justice system today we don't even do public shaming anymore That's not part of our justice system Still what I realize is this and this is the point that the rule of the human heart is that we love to see other people get punished We don't want that but we love to see other get other people get punish. We do. Outrage is, is all the rage of the day that we live because blogs are built upon it and news outlets are built upon it. We know that. And, and we live in this punishment-obsessed society and world. We do. When we fan the flame many times of that punishment through that of social media. Posts are the modern-day versions of pitchforks and torches. It really is. Yes. And, and we do that. Yes. And in light of that... In light of all of that, some of you are already deleting some posts right now, aren't you? you? say, well, I sure hope Mark doesn't see that later on. Yes, because, you know, I don't know. It could be taken wrong. It could be. I, I think that we miss this 30,000-foot view of humanity and of people's lives, that there are mistakes made. Absolutely, none of us are beyond making a mistake, and there are repercussions for those mistakes, and I understand that. But usually the punishment fits the crime. But when I read this story, I began to think, does the punishment really fit the crime here? Because in our hearts as human beings, there's something satisfying within us, the sinful soul of man, to see people punished. Yet for the people of God, that should not be the way in which we live. That should not. Because when I look at the creed, as we're going to read in a moment, as we've been reading together in unison, I realize that the forgiveness of sins... It's not somehow mistakenly tied to that of the Holy Catholic Church, which is we've caught we know this the Universal Church of Christ, the the Body of Christ, the Holy and the Communion of the Saints. But there's something very powerful as to why those are connected in the Creed this morning. There is because what it does it ties this to our own lives as believers about how we see and how we feel about that of the forgiveness of God, because what we see in the creed is that throughout everything that we've studied thus far, it gives us this picture of God and this understanding of God through God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, through the Trinity. It, it does. And, and what, we, what we realize through all of this is that God the Father saw our sinful our sinful lives, and he knew something had to be fixed, and so he sends his son to die on the cross and to be buried in a grave, and he, and he rose on the third day, and he ascends to the Father, but yes, he doesn't leave us as orphans. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but yet he sends the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit does, he makes us a people. He creates a people, and that is exactly what Travis taught on last week, that of the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints, and because of that, that's all tied to that of the understanding that we are forgiven In God this morning, that we are forgiven. So what this does, that takes this understanding of the Trinity and brings it down to the ground of where you and I live in everyday life. And since this is God and this is who God is by what we've been studying thus far, what does this mean for me? What does this really mean for me that he forgives sin? And so I kind of wrote something out and it's this, that the Holy Spirit has come. He sent the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans. He did not. He created a people, yes, and now the people become the platform by which the forgiveness of God is made visible to the world around us. So here is a couple of thoughts this morning as we kind of finish up the creed together over the next couple of weeks. I have two points. The first is this, God forgives. That's simple, right? That is. Uh, you say, oh, I, I like that part, but here's the second part. The people of God, the communion of saints, become the platform in which the forgiveness of God is made visible to the world around us. Yes, the world knows that God forgives because they watch us as his people. They do. So we have read together over the last few weeks the Creed. This is a safe space. So if you're not comfortable standing in a moment, absolutely no judgment here whatsoever. But I would ask you, if you feel comfortable, if you would stand for a moment as a congregation, would you stand together? We're going to read the creed together this morning. You can read it on the screens on both sides, or you can read it on the banner in the middle or on your bulletin. We've made sure that you can't miss it today. But, (laughs) But let's read together. Let's read together and we'll continue. Let's read. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell the third day He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We have said each week that when we read the creed, it starts with, I believe, not I know, because belief simply is a catalyst to action within our lives. And so we said that when we read this, this is what we stand for. This is a tenet of our faith. And so we reject some modern narratives. And one of those modern narratives ties very well into what we're going to talk about, and that is that God forgives. And one of those modern narratives is, is how the world and how people outside of the body of Christ see the one whom we love and serve and simply have this idea of what we believe. And outside of this body, many times, and maybe you're here this morning and you think this way also, and we're glad that you're here, that maybe you believe that somehow we serve a God That and and it causes you, us as believers, to see everyone as absolutely terrible human beings and they're all miserable sinners, trudging through religious steps in in order to somehow please this fickle God who is absolutely unpleasable, that God is always and consistently simply angry with all of us because we're not living up to how He's designed for us to live. So at some point He's going to destroy and damn all of us and can I tell you something about that way of thinking, that that is not true in any form or any fashion? And maybe you're saying, oh, Mark, but you have to go to the Old Testament, because you've already brought up the book of Exodus, and you have to go to the Old Testament. And I'm so glad that you brought that up this morning, because really to understand and see how God is so gracious and God is so forgiving, we're going to see that God in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. If you remember in our long, long series of, uh, what, 30-some weeks when we have talked through the book of Exodus, we realize that what happens is that we see God as the forgiver and therefore we see the the people of God as an example to the world around them of God's grace and God's forgiveness and mercy in their lives. We know that God hears the cries of his people in Egypt Egyptian captivity. They're under a heavy load from their taskmasters. They're simply under this abuse, they're beaten, they're misused, and they're overworked and God hears their cries. And so what does God do? God sends Moses and Aaron to them. He does. And through these amazing miracles where God simply bends that of the creative order that Pharaoh lets God's people go. Then God begins to flex his muscles in the wilderness, doesn't he? He does that he parts the Red Sea, he provides manna, that water pours from rocks. There's a cloud by day to shade them, and, and, and there is a fire by night to guide them and to warm them. It's an amazing thing that God does through the life of his people. Then they find themselves at Mount Sinai. And so what Moses does, he goes up on the mountain to commune with God at Mount Sinai. We know biblically that theologically we think he's gone a couple of weeks. And during that time, the people begin to wonder if God has forsaken them. They forget the Red Sea. They forget the manna. They forget the water out of the rock. They forget the cloud. They forget all of those other things. And they wonder if God has forgotten them and let them to die in the middle of the desert. So here's what they do here's what they do. They go find Aaron. They go find Aaron and say, Aaron, has God forgotten us and left us here to die? And so Aaron has this really numbskull knucklehead idea. And he says to them, listen, take off all your earrings of gold and give them to me. And, And that stuck in my mind because a golden earring in the ear of an individual is a sign of a slave. They've been freed by God, but they still wear the signs of a slave. And that says a lot about how they understand who they are in God or don't understand who they are in God. So they get all their gold jewelry together. They melt them down. And Aaron has this idea that he's going to make a golden calf. And he does. He presents it to them. And he says, this is the God that has saved you from the Egyptians. In a few short weeks... They have forgotten all the amazing things that God has done in their life. Now, can I ask you a question for a moment? Because I wrote this down for myself. If you were God at that point, what would you do? Now, don't be godly on me, okay? Come on now, be real for a moment. Mm-hmm. Ah, somebody said I'm going to smoke them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's not talking about rolling one either. That's not what that is at all. No, no. You're gonna leave this big greasy spot in the middle of the desert, and someone say, What is that? And I say, Well, that's where the Egyptians used. I mean, that's where the Israelites used to be at one time, yes. But they're not there anymore because God smoked them. No, no, you, you know what? Do you know what happens here? And this is the amazing thing, is I read this. I, I'm amazed. Well, you know, I think what some of us would do is this. We're gonna write this blistering post on Facebook. We are, and we're gonna, we're gonna really tear them up on Facebook, hoping it's gonna go viral and ruin their life. But here is what God does. It's Exodus 34, verse 5. It says, "'The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him of Moses and proclaimed, "'The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty.'" visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. A couple of thoughts this morning and we will pray together. The first is this that our God forgives. Our God forgives and and it seems like such small words but they're so powerful. That God is merciful according to this text, slow to anger, and I circled that one, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love and it does not run out for thousands, it says. It's the character and the attributes of our God. It's a revelation of that, that this is who God is and what God is like. That God is not some half-filled cup of love, but it's this abounding, steadfast love that there is no end, there is no end to the love of God in our life, no end to his faithfulness, no end to his kindness. It never, ever runs out. And I think sometimes that you and I think, well, we get on... I don't know if you've ever thought that you get getting on God's nerves, you know, kind of deal. And I'm not sure what that statement means, but we use it a lot. That we're kind of getting on God's nerves. And at some point, God is going to somehow lose patience with us. And we're going to outlast the steadfastness of the love and the faithfulness of God within our lives. And so we view God as kind of this like a half you know, my half cup of, I don't know if you've ever wondered what I drink up here. Have you ever wondered that, you know, is he drinking coffee? Is he drinking what? I don't know. Is he drinking the communion wine? I don't know what he's drinking up there, you know. No, I'm drinking water, you know. And so, you know, we think that God is this kind of half cup experience. And what I realized about this, and, and, and this was just overwhelming to me, that when you think about the love of God, that it's not just a full cup, you know, it's not just that, I know, get over it, it'll dry, it's water, okay, so no worries, all right, it's not just that half cup experience, but what I realize about God, is this abounding love, it says, And, and so this faithfulness to God, that it never, it'll dry, it's okay, okay, I know, okay, there's a gasp in the room, I'm talking about forgiveness, and you're focused on water on the carpet, okay, all right, yeah that it never you listen you can never exhaust god's faithfulness toward you did you know that never i don't care i have to drink this now right never no matter what you pour it out yeah now you're now we're pushing it okay all right all right, all right that never no matter what you do where you go or how many times you do it that you cannot exhaust that 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 steadfast love and faithfulness of God within your life but I think what we do is we sit here sometimes and we say, okay, I came to church and I've gotten my notes and I'm going to draw, you know, I'm going to make a little note here about what Mark says every once in a while, or what Travis says. And, and then after that, I'm going to kind of lose my attention. I'm going to start doodling there for a while, you know, and then I'll go back and make another. Notice. But the point is this, do you believe that God is all of these things? I think that's the thing that we have to ask ourselves: is this, do you believe that God is all of these things that we just read? Do you? I'm not saying that do you know them, but going beyond that, do you believe that God is merciful? Do you believe God is gracious? Do you believe God is slow to anger? Do you believe? Listen, I circle slow to anger because sometimes that's hard for me to wrap my mind around as him being my father because I I love my father, but my father, the, the man that raised me, he You know, we say some people have a short fuse, some people have a long fuse when it comes to temper and anger. My father had no fuse, okay? It was like a landmine. You just had to be careful because at some point you were going to step on the mine and then there were going to be an explosion after that. So it's very difficult for me to wrap my mind around a father who is simply slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping Steadfast Love, 4,000. Do you believe that God is all of these things? That's a huge question. Because if we believe that, then forgiveness, I believe, is the ultimate expression of God's unique beauty. It's forgiveness. Because forgiveness becomes the thing that helps us to see God most clearly in our lives. Well, Mark, what is forgiveness? I mean, forgiveness can be defined in a lot of ways. Well, can I define it for you for a moment? And it's this, forgiveness is, you say, Mark, can we talk about something else? I don't want to talk about it. No, we're going to talk about this for a moment. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. That's a, that's a big definition. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and and forever. What what does that mean? That means letting someone out of their wrongs fully. That means that you don't hold a piece back in case they somehow have a relapse in whatever they have done to you, and you hold something back to hold it over their head. You know, it's not that at all. It's done freely. That means that you do not ask for them to pay restitution when maybe they have done you wrong. It's done forever. And that means that you're letting it go. You're letting it go. And you already feel the impossibility of forgiveness within your life. And can I say to you, welcome to humanity. Yes. Because it's tough. But if we're saying that God forgives us, if that's what the Bible is teaching us, if that's what the creed is teaching us in, a re- in the reflection of Scripture... Then if we say that, then what does God forgive us of? What does he forgive us of? And verse 7 mentions three things in this text I just read that God forgives us of. He forgives us of iniquity. He forgives us of transgressions. And he forgives us of sin. You say, well, Mark, why three things? Why didn't he just lump all that in sin? Because God knows us and he knows how we think this morning. So can I talk about them individually for a moment? Iniquity, and that is premeditated choice that carries with it this continuing disregard for repentance within your life. It's you saying, I know I shouldn't have done it, but, you know, but I I am going to do this. It's what we find in the book of Micah chapter 2, in verse 1. It says this, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds, not just about sexual sin, but yet covering sexual sin. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. It's like you're laying in bed at night and you're premeditating what you're going to do And you think about that, and you simply plan to simply turn yourself over to depravity in your life. It's premeditating rebellion against God's perfect design for your life. It is. It's the David and Bathsheba story we find in the Old Testament. You see David is more than just David and Goliath. I know most of you know that, but if you're not churched a lot, maybe you don't you're not aware of that. David has this heart toward God, but his life is a train wreck. Now, me saying that hopefully makes some of you feel a lot more comfortable in being here this morning, right? Because you're sitting here wondering, why do I have all of these issues going on in my life? And I do love Jesus. I really do love Jesus. Well, you're in pretty good company because that's exactly where David was. His heart was for God, but his life was a train wreck. And David is supposed to be at war with the rest of his army. He's at home for whatever reason, standing on his balcony. He spies Bathsheba. She's taking a bath. Bathsheba is his friend's wife uriah his friend who is his friend at home and his friend in battle they bled together and it's his friend's wife and she's bathing what does he his first problem is that he doesn't turn his head away and go somewhere else it doesn't no he should have turned his head and went somewhere else but he doesn't he doesn't i've always taught my boys this maybe this is for all the men there this morning that as men, you always bounce your eyes. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. I say, Mark, that's a weird thing to say. How do you do that? That as a man, you don't leave your eyes in one place for an extended period of time because you open the door for the enemy in your life at times. We could preach more on that, could we not? Yes, but we've got to talk about forgiveness. That's exactly right. And so he doesn't bounce his eyes. No. What does he do? He gets out the binoculars is what he does, right? Yes. That's exactly what he does. And, and his eyes trigger his brain. And all of a sudden, his brain triggers his heart and he has simply, this man that with, with his heart toward God, but his ha- mind is a train wreck. I don't know what's going through in his brain saying, I need to reward myself. Life has been really hard for me. I don't know, but there's my reward. And Bathsheba, she is, she's hot, you know, she's hot. So he sends her for her, the scripture says, and he took her. And that's it, a biblical term, okay? And I'll explain that one to you later if you need to know what that means, right? Yes. And he took her, and the next morning he wakes up, and I know he feels the guilt and shame of the sin in his life, but what does he do? Well, or what do- doesn't he do? Because nothing, he does everything. He tries to hide his sin, and then when he finds out that he's Bathsheba's baby's daddy, then what does he do? What does he do then that he has Uriah killed? Exactly what he does, because sin always takes you further than you want to go. Always. You say, Mark, I'm so glad that you're talking to everyone else in this room. It makes me feel really good where I am in God this morning. Stop it. That's pride, okay? That's sinful. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord resists the proud. I had a guy I met recently. He's a pastor and. I don't talk about people, negative about people's ministry, but I, I, I thought the other night, you know what? I, I met this guy somewhere. I'm just going to listen to one of his sermons for a moment. And he preaches this interesting sermon he does. I'm not going to tell you his name or what it was all about. But at the end, he apologizes to the congregation for preaching it. And he says that these exact words. I know this really doesn't apply to any of you in this room, but I want you to take these scriptures because you're going to run into somebody next week who will really apply to. Can I tell you what this This sermon applies to every one of you in this room this morning. Every one of us. Every one of us today. What are you pursuing with zeal in your life that is against the design of God for you? What is it? What is it? You know it's wrong, but you're stepping into it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's he's grasping your heart. He's drawing you, attempting to draw you to God, but you ignore it. And you say, Mark, you don't understand. I've gone so far into this that I'm waist deep into this thing in my life that I might as well simply dive in. And can I tell you, that is a lie of the enemy. You're never too far and you're never too deep into what you're in today because God forgives. Because God forgives. Understand that god forgives but i'm i'm shame i'm i'm loaded with shame and guilt for what i've done god forgives understand that but mark i'm in the middle of what i'm doing you don't understand i'm right in the middle of what i'm doing and i really need to get myself cleaned up and then i can come to god no god forgives where you are in the mess of your life he does he forgives you now in the middle of your addiction, in the middle of your struggle, he forgives. He forgives iniquity. And then he says that he forgives transgression. It's a presumptuous and an arrogant sin. It's a sin not necessarily that is, that is premeditated, but it's something that in that moment you say, you know what, I know this is wrong, but yet I'm going to do this anyway. And you do it and you decide to do it. It's when you willingly lie or you willingly steal or you knowingly give yourself over to something that is destructive, lust in your life or whatever, you knowingly sit there and you stew with unforgiveness and bitterness towards somebody else in your life and you can't get them out of your mind and your anger is growing and growing. Can I tell you, God forgives that. God forgives transgression within our lives. And you sit there and you think it's too far gone. No, it is not. God forgives. And then the third thing he says is God forgives sin. And I love that God breaks all these down because he knows how you and I are. We like to set things up on a point system, don't we? Yeah. So, I, you know, I got this five-point sin and that's, a, you know, that's okay. But this ten-point one, I don't know if God can really handle that one. The five-point one may be Okay. Or, you know, I, I have some transgressions, but maybe not iniquity in my life. And then God hits us with this, that he forgives sin. That's missing the mark. Under the umbrella of sin comes out of iniquity and transgression, a nuanced version of them. But yes, it does. That I, and I understand the tension of forgiveness this morning. I understand that in all of our lives. That there is no sin, listen to me today, there is no sin, no iniquity, no transgression, understand it, too great that God has not already forgiven. And God has a desire to forgive in your life. In the middle of where you are today, God forgives. But I think you have to ask yourself this as we go back to that term, I believe, which is perhaps one of the most important terms of this entire creed that we've studied together this summer. Do you really believe that God is all of these things, that he's gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love, steadfast, that that's the offer for you today from God? Do you believe that? But Mark, there's something else in these verses that you read and I've read this before, Mark, and, and I don't quite understand it. It's verse 7 where it says, But who will by no means clear the guilty? That is God. Yes, absolutely. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. Can I tell you something about what this means? God is serious about sin. Did you know that? I, I, I want you to realize that. If you want to write that down, that's perfect. God is serious about sin. He hates sin He hates sin, and a result of that, there is a wrath in his life that really blows our minds and hard to wrap our minds around because God hates everything that harms us. He does. And the best illustration that I could simply come up with at a risk of being repetitive with all of you is that of with my family. And I've said this to you before, and some of you think I'm a guy that has a real anger problem, but I don't. But you mess with my family, and I will understand that. I will because I hate everything that harms my family. I do. Everything that would rob my daughters, which I now have four of them, two granddaughters and two by marriage. And, and so I, I hate everything that would rob my daughters and my sons of the fullness and the joy and the purpose of life. They would, harm, they, they would rob their innocence, would try to kill them or destroy them or harm them. I hate that with a type of hate that I could hurt you if you attempt to hurt them. Mark, you need anger management is what you need. Yes. No. It happened the first moment I held Chadwick, my first child, and I looked in those little boys' eyes, and he looked back at me as his father, and I thought, you know what? This is on right now. I want to tell you, this is on. And, and I knew that if anybody messed with this little boy, then I was going to try my best to mess them up. And you say, Mark, that's ungodly. Well, you let the Holy Spirit work that out in my life because you're not my Holy Spirit, okay? I hate anything that would destroy Or seek to destroy my wife and my children. Because I love them so deeply. So I I wrote this. And and I, I want you to take this to heart. Because God loves so deeply. He hates so deeply. He hates the things that harm you. Because you are his child. And there is no greater expression of love. And that of the father hating the things that harm his children. He loves you deeply. He loves you deeply this morning. And I think this part, I couldn't gloss over this because you're going to leave with these questions of, What does this mean, that visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children? And that is that where there is no repentance and where there is no acceptance of forgiveness. And I think we have to be real careful here because some of you have children this morning that are wayward. And maybe they're away from the Lord at this moment. They're seeking and they're on that journey to find God. And I don't want to put put something on you that the Bible does not say. But what I want to say to you is this, that your children are accountable for their own sins. Understand that. Your children are accountable for their own sins. Does my sin have a bearing or shape on my children? Absolutely, it does. And I believe that's what this scripture teaches, that my sin will affect and shape their lives in some ways. But they are responsible for their own sins. They will never answer for yours or mine. And I want you to go away understanding that. But we do shape them by the things that we do in our lives. How many of your kids have ever said something in public and you look at them and you think, where did that come from, you know? Where did they hear that? And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says to you, they heard it from you. Yeah, right? That's exactly what that means. God forgives. The second thing is this. That God, God's people are the stage upon which the forgiveness of God is made visible. That God forgives, but the people of God, the communion of saints, that of the universal church, that because God forgives us, that you and I are the stage in which that forgiveness is made visible to the world around us. Understand that. And when and when others see our iniquity and they see our transgression, and they see our sin and they see the forgiveness and the grace of God as it flows freely through our lives, they marvel at God's grace. They marvel at the grace of God because God redeems those things into trophies of his grace in our lives. He does. And he uses our lives to shape other people's lives through forgiveness. The forgiveness of sin is equally about community. Understand that. Because when I look in the Bible, when I see the disciples, when I see the church, they're most effective in their community when they're authentic and when they're honest about who they are and how sinful they are and about their iniquities and their sin and their transgressions. Understand that. That's the stage in which the forgiveness of God is made visible and marveled at by the world. Yes, we must never, and and I wrote this, we must never become so clean of a community. We never should become so clean of a community that we buy into the veneer that would lie to us and say that we have it all together. No, that is, that is a veneer. That is never true. None of you have it all together. Mark, that is shocking to me. Nobody's ever told... Somebody should have told you that a long time ago. You never have it all together. And when you act like you do, which is a lie, you are not setting the stage for God's forgiveness to be seen to the world around you. I want you to understand this. The real church... The real church is open and honest and authentic about the sin and iniquity of who they are and where they are. Never let us become such a whitewashed tower, clean and appearing to the world, that the world thinks that they could never be part of who we are. No, they need to see us for who we are. And that is the stage in which the forgiveness of God is shown to the world around us. Because what I realize about myself is that I don't wear a cape. I started to bring my Superman cape this morning again. You know, it's up in my office. I can't figure out what to do with the thing. It just kinda hangs up there, you know? And so I, I thought about wearing it and driving around town with it, but I didn't think that was a good idea, you know. But I should have because no, no one wears a cape here. No one wears a cape here. You only wear capes when you're six years old and you're running around with a towel around your neck and you're in your little underoos, you know, with characters on them kind of deal. You know what underoos are? Okay. Did I date myself? I don't know if they still have those or not. None of my boys wear those things anymore. I don't know. But you're not six. We don't wear a cape. But Jesus does. Yes. Well, I've never heard that one before, but he does. Yes. Because I trust him that he forgives. He forgives. And so I I, I went through this whole thing this week of how to tie all this together, you know, how to pull all this together. I've talked to you about God forgives. I've talked to you, we, the Bible has talked to us about sin in our lives, about how you and I, when we allow God to cover the iniquity and the transgression and the sin of our life, that that is a stage that others see forgiveness in our lives. So, so how, do, how do I end this? And I thought, well, we've ended it each week by covering things like symmetry, clarity, community, and counsel. But I thought, you know what, I don't have time for all that because I'm just going to talk to you about symmetry for a moment. And that is to have real symmetry and balance in your life in this area. First, you have to develop, enveloping that, you have to embrace and believe that you are forgiven. That is where it starts, that you have to embrace and believe that you are forgiven. And secondly, I think some of us have to extend some forgiveness to others. C.S. Lewis said, we all agree Forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah. And can I say to you, because I would not want you to leave this teaching on the forgiveness of God this morning with great condemnation and heaviness in your life. Never was our goal to simply back up the, the dump truck of guilt and to unload it all on your life today. That's not what this is all about. Because I know that some of you see forgiveness in your life, whether it's toward you or you showing it toward others, is almost impossible because the scars of your life are so deep. The wounds are so great within your life. And I I want you to understand that just because you leave without maybe having this completely conquered in your life, that you don't leave with guilt. Because what I believe is this, that forgiveness toward others is a process. It's a process. And we're here to help you with that process. As a pastor and our staff, we are here to pray with you and to counsel with you to help you through that process. But I want you to leave knowing that God forgives sin. He forgives sin. So I went to the book of Luke chapter 15. In the book of Luke chapter 15 are three parables. The last parable, perhaps one of the most I guess famous of all of them, is the parable of the prodigal son. And if you're not church, you may not be aware of it, but the prodigal son is a young man who comes to his father real quickly. And he says to his father, I want my inheritance. Now understand in this day and time, that to go to your father prior to his death and ask him for his inheritance, is is what you're saying to him is, I wish you were dead, is what it's saying. That I don't want you, I don't want your love, but I want your stuff, is what he said to his dad. His dad had the power at that point in this culture to, one, have him imprisoned. Two, he could have him thrown on the street to be homeless. Or, or two, or three, he simply could have given him the inheritance. And you know what he did? He gave him his inheritance. He gave him a third of his kingdom, is what he did. Everything he'd work for. So what does the prodigal do? He leaves, he runs away, he goes and he blows it all. He squanders every bit of it. The Bible says that he spends a lot of it on prostitutes. And it's gone eventually. He finds himself eating with the swine. Covered in, I guess the nicest way to say this he's covered in pig crap. You know, that's, that's just, we'll call it what it is because that's what it is, Right? And there's a powerful moment in this story in Luke 15. And I think it's perhaps one of the most powerful moments in Scripture. Because it says, in this moment of being with the swine, eating with the pigs, broke, nothing left, the prodigal son comes to himself. He comes to himself. And his thought is this. Why am I here When I could go back to my father's house, that at least I could go back and I could be a servant. And the servants fare far better than than I do here in the pigsty. And so he gets up and the Bible says that he doesn't clean himself. You really don't find that anywhere. I think he goes back to the father just as he is. There's some amazing parallels here to God being the father and we being the children. And he heads back to the father's house. And the text says that every day the father gets up and he scans the horizon for the return of his son. Every day he does that because that's a father's heart. And on that day he gets up, he as any other day, he scans the horizon. And all of a sudden he sees this shell of a human being coming toward the house. And he realizes it because the father always knows his son. And the Bible says that the father doesn't walk to him or take a stroll to him, but the father sheds all of his dignity and he runs to his child. And he embraces him. And the, and the son sings. The son says, Father, forgive me, I've sinned against you. And at that point, I mean, the son says it to the father And at that point, the father says to the son, he just says, I think he stops him and says, that's enough. Because the son never gets to the part where he's going to say to his dad, Dad, I just want to come back and be one of your servants. Why? Because he was never designed to be a servant. He was always designed by the father to be a son. Maybe if, if God could just forgive me and kind of let me squeak in the back door of the kingdom, I won't make a lot of noise, God, and, and I won't cause you any problems anymore. And, and I just kind of stay in the background and I don't have to have a, a robe or a ring or sandals. I, I, I just, I'm fine to be your servant and, and I, I may never be a son again because of what I've done. And God says, you were never designed to be a slave, but always a son. And so the father takes the robe and puts it on his back and the ring on his hand. He puts the sandals on his feet. He calls for the the calf to be killed and a party to be thrown for his son. Why? Because the father forgives. We serve a God this morning whose heart is to wipe away debts, to break all the rules of this punishment obsessed world that we live in. Because in this story of the father and the prodigal, the father has all the rights to punish his son. He could have enslaved him for restitution. He could have destroyed his life. There's all kinds of plays that he had at his disposal, yet he plays none of them. Instead, he breaks all the rules of the punishment-obsessed world to embrace his son. God breaks all the rules to embrace us. He has a wrath toward our sin and He had all the rights to destroy us. But what does He do? He sends His Son. His Son breaks all the rules because He is God incarnate. Fully God, fully man. He lives like you and I. He suffers like us. And He gives Himself freely on a cross. He breaks all the rules. He's placed in a borrowed tomb. He breaks all the rules. He cheats death, hell, and the grave. He conquers and makes a mockery of those things. And on the third day, He bursts forth as a risen Savior. He breaks the rules for you. And then he stands on the mountain and he ascends to heaven. But he says to you before he leaves that I will not leave you as an orphan, but I will send you another. And he sends us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us. He has all the rights to, but he breaks all the rules. Why? Because he's a God who loves us. And he forgives even if it means breaking all the rules of the creative order, He forgives. And you are forgiven. Bow your heads with me for a moment this morning, Father. This is so beyond our finite brain this morning that we truly need the working of the Holy Spirit to. Reveal your forgiveness to us. The magnitude of your forgiveness is beyond understanding. And rightfully so. That you have broken all the rules. To express your love to every one of us. So do we believe these things about you today? God, do we believe these things about you? That is the question that we have to answer this morning. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. So maybe you're struggling with forgiveness. Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit has illuminated your life and understanding to that that God forgives. Maybe you need to show forgiveness to others. And that seems to be impossible. It is with you, but with God, all things are possible. So trust him this morning. Trust him with your life. Thank you, Father. Would you stand this morning, please? Would you stand with me? If you need to pray, I encourage you to come and pray this morning. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness and accept that forgiveness in your life from God. Then you just do that. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And I am in need of you. And allow him to come into your life this morning and to save you. You're a believer and you're in the middle of a mess of your life. Oh, you've asked for forgiveness, but you're still dealing with the guilt and the shame. Can I tell you that you need the Holy Spirit to remind you this morning in his own powerful way that you are forgiven? That you're forgiven. And you walk in that forgiveness this morning. So as they sing this morning, I encourage you to pray. Seek God for an understanding of his forgiveness in your life.